Um, if you have closed your Bibles, open them back up to John 17. We're going to look together at, uh, continue looking at Jesus' prayer here in John 17. It's really easy to think that following Jesus is largely about avoiding the darkness and, and depravity of the world around us. Um, especially if you grew up in certain church contexts. It's easy to kind of walk with that idea. I remember years ago, I was talking with uh, one of my cousins, and I asked him, like, so what do you think is the purpose of life? And his answer was, well, according to my priest, it's to resist temptation. Like, that's why we're here, simply to resist being stained by the world. And, and sometimes we can have that view of following God. Like the, the, the main thing is just to avoid being, you know, uh, spoiled by the world around us, the way it might influence our doctrine or our morals or our relationships, or even simply just to escape this world altogether. Just get me to heaven, Lord. Why am I still here? And in fact, sometimes the way that we share the gospel of Jesus sometimes we can accidentally leave the impression that, that the only thing that really matters is where you go when you die, right? Heaven or hell. Now, to be fair, that's kind of a big deal, right? Like, that matters whether you're going to spend uh, eternity in the joyful presence of God or shut out from that presence. That matters immeasurably and infinitely. And, and again, to be fair, it's not crazy to... to recognize the spiritual danger that this world can pose. Uh, you know, when Jesus talks about the world in the Gospel of John, he is primarily talking about the fallen world, the world as the created order that operates in rebellion against God. But if Christianity is largely about avoiding the world that we live in or escaping it, it's hard to understand why Jesus prays what he prays in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Like for somebody who has spent the last four chapters preparing his disciples for his own departure from the world, why wouldn't he just take them with him? Like why leave them behind? Well, there are a lot of ways that we could answer that from the Bible. But as we'll see from our Lord's prayer here, it's because following Jesus is not about avoiding this world, but bearing witness in the world as those who are protected and consecrated by God. This is what Jesus prays for his apostles in verses 6 to 19. Uh, chapter 17 here is the conclusion of what's often called uh, the upper room discourse in John 13 to 17. And, and so Jesus, throughout these chapters, has been preparing his disciples for his departure. The cross is just around the corner. He's about to return to his father. And so he's been, pre he's been preparing them, uh, first through his example in chapter 13, and then through his teaching in chapters 14 to 16, and now finally through his prayer in chapter 17. And it's a prayer that breaks into really three parts. He starts by praying for himself in verses, uh, for himself in verses one to five. Father, glorify your son. And this is what Keith walked us through last week, 
how Jesus is glorified through the greatest sacrifice, receiving all authority and deserving of all eternal praise. And, and so we kind of looked at his, his prayer for himself in verses 1 to 5. This next section that we're looking at this morning is his prayer for his apostles in, in 6 to uh, 19. And the next week, when we conclude this chapter, he actually prays for us for those who will believe through the witness of the apostles. He prays for his church in 20 through 26. But as he prays for his apostles here, in 6 to 19, uh, the now 11 disciples who are still with him, uh, he starts by describing how he has completed their preparation for ministry. And then he brings two requests to his father. He asks God to do two things for his apostles, to keep them in verses 11 to 16, and to consecrate them in verses 17 to 19. We see those two words repeated in those sections, keep or protect, and consecrate or sanctify. Following Jesus is not about avoiding the world, but bearing witness in the world as those who are protected and consecrated by God. And we're going to talk about what those two things mean, why Jesus asks God to do these two things, to protect and to consecrate. What in the world is that? But before we do that, I want to start with verses 6 to 11 and the occasion for these two requests, why Jesus is now asking his Father to do these things because he has completed their preparation for ministry. So why, why ask the Father now to protect and to consecrate his apostles? Why leave them behind if he is now returning to heaven and, and all of the glory that comes with it? Well, it's because he has been preparing his disciples for something. He has been preparing them for ministry. The past three years of following Jesus and seeing his signs and, and hearing his teaching was not some sort of elaborate plan to make some sort of prison break from earth together. Like, we're just going to get out of this place. That's not what he's been doing. Rather, he's been preparing them. He's been training them to carry on his mission after he departs. As we've said throughout this, this section of John, the, the mission of Jesus does not end with the earthly ministry of Jesus. He sends his disciples into the world to carry out his gospel work. And, and so he's declaring here in 6 to 11 how he has completed the apostles' training, whether they realize it or not. Because if you go back a few chapters, I'm not sure they'd be ready for the final exam, right? But according to Jesus here, he has completed their preparation for ministry, and he summarizes that, that training and that preparation in verse 6 like this. He says, I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. I've manifested your name, Father, to the people that you gave me out of the world. Now, that is a, that's a phrase that we don't use in our regular everyday speech, manifesting a name. Like, what does that mean? Uh, he's simply saying this, I have shown them who you are. Father, I have shown your people that you gave me 
who you are. To manifest here is to show or to reveal, and the Lord's name is a way of referring to the Lord himself, his reputation, his person, his character. I have shown them who you are. That's what I've been doing these last three years. All of my teaching, all of my living, all of the signs that I've performed, he has been showing the apostles who God truly is, which if you remember back to the prologue of John's gospel in chapter one, that's exactly what, what John told us Jesus came to do, to reveal to God's people uh, who the Father is in this new and climactic way as the incarnate word of God to, to reveal the glory and grace of God in a new way. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus, he has made him known. Jesus has made the invisible God known to his people through his life, his ministry, his teaching. And, and that's what he's been doing throughout this whole book. He has been making the Father known to his people. Uh, you think of, for instance, all of the I am statements through John's gospel that we've seen as we've gone along. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Before Abraham was, I am. Each of those being an echo of God's divine name from Exodus 3. Jesus is revealing the Father in a new and climactic way through his life, through his teaching, through his miracles ultimately through the cross and resurrection yet to come so that, so that these disciples can now say they have seen God. They know who God is through their relationship with Jesus. And, and, and that's who Jesus is praying for here, specifically for the apostles that he has revealed God to. Uh, if you look at verse 9, he says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. He is praying specifically for the apostles that he has revealed God to. Now, this doesn't mean we should never pray for the world, uh, especially if we're praying that the world would come to know Jesus and, and be rescued out of the world and into God's kingdom. But, but he's, he's simply focusing his prayer right here in this section on the, the people he is sending into the world to make him known, the people to whom he's revealed God's name and who have been prepared for mission for the sake of God's name. And Christ's preparation has been effective, which again is a little bit surprising as we've been working through the story, and there's so many times that they just they don't feel like they're getting it. But he affirms here, they have gotten the main message. The apostles have gotten the main message, what they need to know, or at least what they could possibly know this side of the cross and resurrection, that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised king that God said he would send, and he has been sent from the Father. They get that part. Verse 7, now they know that everything you've given me is from you, for I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, 
and they have believed that you sent me. The apostles get it. As, as much as they can get, they get it. They, they don't understand yet why the cross is necessary. They, they have not begun to imagine how the resurrection that they're looking forward to at the end of time is about to break into the present through their Savior. But they are ready. They understand and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that He has been sent from God, and so they are as ready as they could possibly be this side of the cross, prepared for mission for the sake of His name, which is good because as Jesus says in verse 11, I'm no longer in the world, but they're in the world, and I am coming to you. Jesus is about to depart but they are remaining in the world because they have work to do. They have a purpose, a mission. And brother and sister, the same is true for those of us making our way in this world today as well. We have a purpose and a mission. As discouraged as you might be at how your life is going right now, or as aimless as you might feel trying to find your way in this crazy world, as puzzled as you might be at what in the world God is doing, or as as much pain as you might feel each day, as long as the Lord has you here, you have purpose here. God doesn't make mistakes in His timing. If you are here, you have purpose, an ultimate purpose to know the Father and Jesus Christ, His Son, whom He has sent, and a practical purpose to make Him known in the world. So whether through our, our words or our example or our prayers, following Jesus is not about avoiding or escaping this world, but bearing witness in it. But if we're going to do that, if we're going to do that well, we need to be protected, and we need to be consecrated. And those are the two things that Jesus asks his Father to do. We need to be protected in the world and consecrated in the Word. And that's where Jesus moves in his prayer. His first request in verses 11 to 16 is protection in the world. Notice how often Jesus talks about keeping or protecting here. If you look at the middle of verse 11, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you had given me. And then verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So, so while following Jesus is, is not about avoiding or, or escaping this world, we do need God's protection in this world, specifically to be kept in his name and from the evil one. Those are the two requests, to be kept in his name and from the evil one. So, so what does it mean to be kept in God's name? Well, just as Jesus has shown them God's name. He has manifested that, revealed that to them. So now he wants to keep them in the name that he has revealed. Basically, he's saying, I want to keep them in relationship with you, Father. 
They have seen you. They have trusted you. They have believed on you. Keep them there. Keep them in relationship to you and loyalty to you. In other words, the protection that Jesus is praying for here is not primarily physical protection, but spiritual protection to keep their faith and loyalty to the Lord. The reality is that of the 11 guys he's praying for in this prayer, only one, all but one of them are going to die for their faith. And several of them are already dead by the time John writes this gospel. He's not praying primarily for physical protection. But even as they gave their lives for the Lord, God kept them in his name. He protected them spiritually. He held them fast to himself as they held out the gospel of Jesus. That's a protection that Jesus himself provided during his earthly ministry. As he says in verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you had given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And and the reason he mentions Judas and his rebellion, that's who he means by this son of destruction. The reason he mentions that is is so that we know that that Judas's betrayal was not a failure of Jesus to protect his people. Like, it's not like one slipped through. Now, that was foretold by the scriptures. That was part of the plan of redemption. Jesus was batting a thousand on the spiritual protection that he provided, and now he's asking the Father to keep the batting average the same. Lord, keep them in your name. Keep them from the evil one. And he prays specifically that God would keep them spiritually for the sake of unity, for the sake of unity. Look at verse 11 again. Keep them in your name that they may be one even as we are one. Now, there are a lot of ways that this fallen world poses a spiritual uh, danger to God's people, right? The the moral depravity that surrounds us, the darkness of this world that that can uh, pose a threat, or the daily distractions of this world, all the ways that the world tries to woo us and lure us into things that that neither satisfy nor last. But here Jesus is seeking to guard them from the relational division that is so uh, part of the fabric of this fallen world, the way that this world can turn God's people against one another, either through its false hopes or especially here through its hostility, through its hostility. I mean, Jesus has has warned them of the hostility that they should expect to encounter back in chapter 15. He prays about it again here in verse 14. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Just the simple fact that when we trust Christ, when we are made new and we become a believer, we are rescued out of the world and we now belong to Jesus, the fact that we no longer belong to this fallen world, that makes us enemies with the world around us. And that can show itself in in a whole bunch of ways, but we will be treated like enemies sometimes, simply because 
of our loyalty to Christ. Too foolish, too, too exclusive or out of touch or, or even dangerous and toxic. And, and the evil one, the devil, would love nothing more than to leverage that hostility to sow division within God's people, to take the hostility that surrounds us and, and, and turn it into hostility among us. He would absolutely love to do that because what better way to derail the mission of Christ than to divide the messengers against one another? This is his tactic. This is what he does. And this is why Jesus is praying for our spiritual protection, that he would guard the unity of God's people in Christ, just as the Father and the Son are one, that we would be one in them, and so able to present a unified, clear witness to the world of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And, and he's going he's gonna to talk and pray more about unity in the rest of the prayer that we'll look at next week, verses 20 to 26. He'll have more to say on this. But here he's asking God for spiritual protection for the apostles. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They need spiritual protection in the world for the sake of unity. And we need that same spiritual protection in the world for the sake of unity today as well. Because, I mean, if we're honest, uh, the world today, the fallen world we live in, is no more on Team Jesus now than it was in the first century, right? The, the, the world that surrounds us, uh, we may not face the same kinds of persecutions that, that the early church did, or even that brothers and sisters around the globe face today. But we do face the same enemy, and he, we do face the, he still uses the same tactics, right? To seek to, to kill and steal and destroy. That's what he does. And if he, can if he can divide us today by defiling our lives or relationships with sin, or by distracting us from our mission and purpose, or by diluting our loyalty to Christ or our devotion to one another, you better believe he's going to leverage everything he has to get that done. We need God's protection. If we're going to be faithful witnesses in this fallen world, we need the spiritual protection that God supplies. And, and understanding our need for that protection, we, we cannot allow that to drive us to fear, however. Like, it, we need to be honest about the threats that surround us. We need to be honest about the real and motivated enemy we have, but that does not, that honesty should not translate into freaking out constantly. Because if you look at why Jesus is praying what he's praying right now, why he's asking them for, for protection and unity, asking the Father to protect them and unite them, look at verse 13. He says, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world, this prayer for protection and unity, I'm praying this, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Jesus is not aiming for our fear here, but for our joy. He's aiming for our joy in him, even in the midst of hostility, even up, up against the threat of disunity. He is aiming for our joy 
we cannot let our guard down, right? We cannot uh, let the enemy tear us apart, and we need not, because the joy that we have in Jesus is greater than any carrot that this world can dangle in front of us, and than any tactic the enemy might use against us. We have an unsurpassing treasure in Jesus Christ. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. We have joy in him. And that joy guards our unity even as we resist the enemy. Following Jesus is not about escaping the world. Therefore, Jesus asks his Father to protect us in the world for the sake of unity. But neither is it about avoiding the world. And so he also asks his Father to consecrate us in the word for the sake of mission. And that's his second request in verses 17 to 19. Praying for protection, now praying for consecration. Look again at verse 17. Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. And Jesus is not leaving his disciples behind simply so they can find a safe place to hide until he returns. Like, that's not, they need protection, but they need more than protection. They need consecration. They need God to set them apart as they are sent out into the world to make him known. Now, there's another word that we don't use in our daily speech, consecrate. Like, when's the last time somebody asked you, have you consecrated the laundry or dishes or what? We don't, we don't talk that way, right? Uh, because it's, it's kind of a, a theological term. It's a, it's a Bible word that we don't use in everyday life. Uh, it's the same word that's translated sanctify in verses 17 and 19. So consecrate, sanctify, those are all the same word in these verses. Uh, and while the word is strange to us, the idea is very simple. It is to set something apart. Or more specifically, it's to set apart for holy service to God. To, to make it special for a special use. Now, we do this with, in less holy ways all of the time in our homes. Some of you are, are going to get dishes out of some cabinet that you haven't used since Easter, and you're going to wash them and set them out for Thanksgiving because those dishes are set apart for special occasions, right? They are holy in, in a non-biblical term, right? They're, they're set apart for a special occasion, for a special purpose. And so you pull them out for that use. Or maybe some of us have certain clothing that is set apart for a particular use or a special purpose. Well, here, God is setting his people apart. He, he's taking them out of the world, not, not out of it physically, but out of the realm of the world and setting them apart for service in the world, holy service to God, to bear witness to Christ. Uh, you can think of this in the Old Testament. So, for instance, in the book of Leviticus, uh, the priests and the tabernacle were consecrated to God. They were set apart for his holy service. Uh, for instance, in Leviticus 8, we read that Moses 
took the anointing oil and, and uh, anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. There's that word. Uh, he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and he anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. So he's setting the tabernacle, the priests, apart for special service to God. They're not everyday things. They are holy for a particular purpose. And then later in verse 30, he does the same thing, only this time he uses both oil and blood to consecrate them, to set them apart, the blood of the sacrifices. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar, and he sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons' and his son's garments with him. He set them apart for holy service to God. They have a special purpose, and they've been prepared for that purpose. That's the imagery Jesus is using in his prayer to the Father as he sends his disciples into the world. Father, consecrate them in the truth, which is also why we call this sometimes Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17 because he's operating as a great high priest in consecrating, setting apart his people for service. Verse 19 again, for their sake, I consecrate myself. I sanctify or set myself apart so that uh, they also may be sanctified or consecrated in truth. So as he's preparing them for ministry, he's now asking the father to set them apart for that special purpose to consecrate them, to make Christ known. But notice also what he uses or what he asks God to use in order to consecrate them. Verse 17, with the word, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. So where Moses used oil and blood to consecrate the priests, Here the Father sanctifies the apostles with the word, with the truth of Jesus that has been revealed by God, the same word that's now collected for us in the Holy Scriptures, the word that is both spirit and life, according to Jesus in John 6, the word that cleanses us, according to Jesus in John 15, 3, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. The word that ultimately testifies to the blood of the anointed, consecrated king. How do we get the blood of Jesus applied to us to set us apart through the message of the gospel, through the declaration of the word of truth? By this word, God sets his people apart for service. And by this same word, he not only sets us apart for that service, but he makes us fit for that service by transforming our lives to look more and more like Jesus. Jesus does not send his apostles into the world without first preparing them. He doesn't send them into the world without protection. And he does not send them into the world without setting them apart and supplying them with all that they need to carry out his work by the word of God. 
They are consecrated in the word for the sake of mission. And, and again, while Jesus is focusing here on his apostles, and he's going to get to us in the next part of the prayer, 20 to 26, those who will believe through the apostles' witness, we too are set apart for Christ by the same means, by the word of God today. This applies to us as well. It is through the word of God in Scripture that we are able to see with our own eyes what Jesus revealed to his apostles in his life and ministry and teaching. He manifested his name to them. We get to behold God in that same way through the written word of God that testifies to him. And it's through, therefore, through this word of God in Scripture that we're able to know Jesus and believe in him and be changed by him. And through this very same word, we're then set apart to make him known, to to share Christ with others. It is the word of God that does the work of God as the spirit applies it to people's hearts and lives. This is, this book, this book is no empty word. It is our life. And and we're going to consider that more deeply in in the month of January, we're going to do a short series on the doctrine of Scripture, on its inspiration and authority and reliability and sufficiency. Why do we spend so much time in this book? Uh, We're going to think together about that. But as Jesus consecrates us in the Word here, it's, it's a good reminder that we need to be in that Word ourselves. Like the same word that sets us apart is the word that, through which we can know God more deeply and the, the word through which we make God known. And it, it's impossible, frankly, to know God or love God or obey God or serve God or tell others about God if we don't make our home in this book. He's revealing himself to us. And so just a, a very simple encouragement as we conclude this morning uh, to each of us to make time in God's Word a priority. Make time in God's Word a priority. Read, read your Bibles, which, you know, might sound like busy work for some of us. Oh, it's homework. No, no. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is food. This is food. Spend time in God's Word. Read your Bible on your own. Like, take time to spend in it, reading it, reflecting on it, obeying it, praying through it. Read it at home with your spouse, with your children. Discuss it, pray through it. Read it with other Christians who can help you understand it and obey it, and, or you can help them understand and obey it. And in one of our, our 10 o'clock classes, if you're not sure how to do that, it's what we're talking about at 10 o'clock. But also... And this is especially important given the passage that we're in. Read the Bible with non-Christians. Read the Bible with those who, who haven't yet trusted Christ. We're not called to avoid the world, but to bear witness in the world. And one of the simplest and most powerful ways to point somebody to Jesus is to invite them to sit down regularly and let's just read 
what this book says about him. Right? Have you ever read the Bible? No. Or you have, maybe. Well, would you be willing to maybe take a few weeks, grab coffee once a week, and we'll just read through the Gospel of Mark together and see what we learn about Jesus? That's one of the most powerful ways, and some of you are doing that already. It's one of the most powerful, simple ways to share Christ. The same Word of God that sets us apart for service is also the very message we have to give to those who don't know Christ. And and maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. I'd love to read the Word with you. I would love to sit down and go through this and just see what does it say about Jesus. Let's do that together. Let's do that together. Following Jesus is not about avoiding this world or escaping from it but bearing witness in the world as those who are protected and consecrated by God. May God answer his son's prayer and give us the grace to set ourselves to this holy task. Let's pray and ask him to do it. Gracious Father, Lord, we need your help. We need your protection in this world. And we need your holy consecration to remind us, to set us apart for the mission you have given us as your redeemed people. Lord, thank you that you have not left us on our own to figure you out or to find our own way. You have revealed yourself to us through your Son in the Scriptures. Lord, help us put that into practice daily. Give us the grace we need to carry out your commission, relying on your protection in alignment with your consecration for the sake of your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray.